number three, First Peter chapter number three. Does anyone need an outline, or is everyone good to go? Or if you got an outline, you want one, and if you don't have it, you didn't want it, whatever the case may be. We're going to continue talking about a subject we all love in our lives, submission. None of us, I don't think anybody that likes the word submission. I know that there's this common idea, you know what, you get like 18 years old, and I'm free, I'm never, I'm, no, I'm going to run my life. It doesn't quite work that way, does it? We all submit to different authorities in our lives. And you say, well, I'm not going to submit to anything or anybody. When you drive a car, drive it as fast as you want and see if you'll submit. It happens, right? We get this crazy idea. And the thing is, all through life, life is full of experiences and times where we submit. That's part of life. And as a Christian, it should be one of our calling cards to submit to the Lord in a lot of areas. If you remember a while back, we started in 1 Peter. And basically, when we got into the middle of chapter number 2, we see that Peter was reminding these early Christians, hey, you, you're citizens of heaven. You belong in heaven, but you're not there yet. So while you're living in this world, this is how you should live. And so Peter goes through a lot of different areas. We saw a couple weeks ago that as Christians and as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be good citizens, right? R right? Are we on the same page? Are we still all alert here? Okay. Make sure. I should, you shouldn't be asleep yet. Maybe in a little bit. But sometimes, I don't know what it is. Some people, this weather makes them a little tired. Some, how many of you, cloudy weather like this makes you a little tired? Yeah. I'm really in for it today then, if you're already tired. I haven't even got to the, And I fed you right that, that, little, that little wafer and that little bit of juice. You can always tell who fills the juice up. If I fill it up, I always forget, and it's like right at the very top and spills in your hand when you grab it, then you know I filled it. If it's like only halfway full, Ryan's the one who did it because he thinks on those things and I don't. So that's the difference between those two. But when we look, we saw a few weeks ago the fact that we are supposed to submit to our government authorities and the rules and laws that are in the land, except when they go against the word of God and when they lead us to sin. We talked about that. And good Christians are good citizens. We saw that. Last week, we looked at the end of chapter number two, and we saw that good Christians are good employees. And so, in your place of work, where you live, these, the, these things, we should do good. And we need to, there are areas in our lives that we submit in. Now, before we get to today's verses, I want you to look with me back at chapter number two, and look at verse number 22. It's talking about Jesus, who did no sin, neither was God. Actually, go to verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. For we were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your souls. Now chapter 3. Now remember, I've told you this before. Just because the Bible splits things up in chapters doesn't mean it's a completely different thought and a new chapter. Someone later on after the Bible is written added the chapters and verses. And I'm glad they did. So we can say turn to chapter 3, verse number 1, where it would be like, 
look at this book from Peter and find the word likewise. And you'd have to find that somewhere. And then if likewise is found like three times in the book, you'd have to figure out. So for sake of time, it makes it a lot simpler to say 1 Peter 3.1. But sometimes that gives us idea, new chapter, new thought, not the case. It's one book. Likewise is the first word in chapter 3, verse number 1. So likewise, as Christ lived his life and set an example for us, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair, or of the wearing of gold, or of the putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God, which in the sight of God of great price, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, Adorn themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There's a lot there, a lot to unpack. Now, it's interesting to me. There are six verses for the wives here and one verse for the husband. Now, you say, why is that? Ladies, ladies, think about it. You give your husband a big list of things to do, he's going to forget about it. So you got to keep it short and simple and to the point, right? So that they actually do what needs to get done. And so there's a lot we, we're going to say, but this is what I'm doing. Instead of doing husbands and wives all together today, this week we're going to look at what submission looks like for the lady, for the wives, and then next week we'll look at what submission looks like for the husband in these areas. So bear with me this morning. Don't give me any dirty looks this morning. We're going from the Bible, okay? Now may I help you today? The Bible does not, our culture does not agree with what the Bible says here at all. But the Bible is correct and culture is not. The Bible's always right. So, and if you don't like something I say, don't get mad at the messenger. I love you. You're my friends, okay? The Word of God's the one that says it. Take it up with God. Don't take it up with me, all right? And so let's have a word of prayer. And we'll dive in this morning. Father, we need you this morning. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray that you would guide us and help us today. We need this. And I pray that you would work in each of our lives and each of our hearts and help us have an open heart this morning to the truth of your word. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's interesting when it comes to the word of God. The areas that we like, we like. And the other areas we just don't like. But God's word is right all the way through. God is the one who designed marriage. God is the one who knows how a marriage should be. You know, if you were to go and uh, my kids like to build Legos, and, uh, and some of them, you know, the older they get, the more complicated the Lego set gets. And I think that William's gotten to the point with his Lego sets, he's passed my comprehension on those. 
or my patience level. That could be the truth there. And, uh, but the thing is, I'm not going to go to, um, I'm not going to go somewhere and ask someone how to build it when the Lego company gives me their directions because they're the ones who designed it. We go everywhere for marriage advice and how marriage should be, but to the one who originated marriage. God is the one who made marriage. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden together. He made them one flesh. Marriage was instituted by God. That's why, may I just remind you this morning, society should not dictate what marriage is. I don't care what the Supreme Court might say or what different people say. In the Bible, God set up marriage, and marriage was between one man and one woman. That was God's design. And God's original design for marriage was one man, one woman for life. We look at, we look at our world as a fallen world, and that plan has not—it's different today. And it, it's not—God's plan hasn't changed. But man hasn't followed God's plan. I think that's a better way of wording what I'm trying to say. But may I just remind you, marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. So when this world goes and defines marriage in other ways, they don't have the right to. They didn't set up marriage. It's just like life. We look at prop number one, and it should be a big no from every Christian. Here in the state of California, we don't need it as a f- abortion as a fundamental right in our Constitution for, the, for California. God is the author of life, and God is the taker of life. That's his dealing. Leave life alone and leave it to God. We might not always understand it, and there's so much. There's little gray areas, black, uh, little gray areas and lots of different things. But what you understand is marriage was set up by God, and God knows what's best. As we look at our passage today, there are several things you could see. First off, this could be written to a wife that whose husband is not a husband that doesn't know the Lord. And so the Bible tells you this is how you could get your husband to the Lord. Now, is this a guarantee that he's going to come to the Lord? There are no guarantees. It just says this is the way to do it. Now, you could also look at this passage as, and may I just say this, and uh, in, in general terms, a lot of times, ladies are more spiritual than men are. And if you don't agree with that, you, it's true. It's true. And you look at our society today, you look at churches, there are a lot more spiritual women ready to do God's work than there are men today. That's a sci- There's lots of things I could say about that, but I'm not going to go deeper into that. But maybe, you know, let's say your husband is away from God. Here are some ways to help get your husband back to the Lord. And once you're saved, you're always saved. That will never change. But we also see the fact that this is God's plan and how a home should go. We don't like to think of submission. And sometimes we look at it as a bad thing. But God doesn't set things in our lives to be bad. You know, remember you have kids and they're like, can I go to this party? Can I do that? They're like, no. Do you tell your kids they can't go somewhere because you hate their guts? I hope not. I hope that's not the case. No, you protect them. You put safeguards there. You set boundaries for them. Hey, you got to be home by 10 o'clock. What is it? You don't trust me? No, you might trust your kid completely, but you want them home by a certain time because you are looking out for their best interest. Does that make sense? That's what God does with us. Don't look at it as a terrible thing. And so as we look at this today and as we dive a little bit further, another thought I have for you this morning is be careful, young people in this room and single people in this room, be careful who you date. 
because the Bible makes it clear in 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Be careful who you date. A Christian should only date a Christian. And just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't always mean that they are a Christian. Or there's the other side of this, and this is what happens. you got to be very careful. And be careful who you give your heart to. When you start dating someone, the first thing you should find out right away is if they are a Christian, if they know the Lord. Oh, I'll get them there. Sure. I will change them. How many people have said they're going to change, change their spouse? My parents this next month, it'll be 60 years they've been married. My dad is the craziest, pickiest eater I've ever met in my life. And I am sure when they first got married, I am sure my mom, being as stubborn and wonderful as she is, I'm sure she thought that at some point she would change my dad's eating habits. But you go to their house today, and she eats more like he does than ever. And how it happened that way, I don't know, but that's just, he ended up rubbing off on her in those areas. But these are important, because the thing is, we get to know someone, and we really like them, and, wanna, and then we think, they're the one. Oh, are you a Christian? And then your heart's already given away. Very dangerous. Before, before Caroline and I started dating, our first date, actually. Say, on your first date? Yep, first date. God called me to pastor before I ever met a girl. And that's what I was going to do with my life. That's what God called me to do. So if I was going to date someone that didn't want to go into ministry, it, it doesn't make a good balance, right? So first date. God's called me to pastor, and I'm going to be pastoring in California at some point. Isn't that what I told you? And I said, what do you think about that? I'm okay with whatever. We kept dating. What if, she, what if I would have done that later on, and she'd be like, there's no way. I, I'm not going to serve God. Could have brought some conflict. So I need to be very careful about who you give your heart to. Be careful about who you date, because those things matter. And it's important that you do things the way God would have you do it. And also, as we look at these things, and we talk about submission and things, let's make sure we understand something together. God did not call you to live in an abusive situation. God didn't call you to be abused and to suffer at the hands of your husband and to submit to that garbage. God didn't call you to that. I've heard pastors say that whatever you're, you just submit to it. No, God didn't, God didn't create you to be a doormat. God didn't create you to be abused. And if you're in one of those types of relationships, you need to get help. And there are lots of people that could help you in those areas and get you out of that. You need not to be in those situations. There's a lot more I could say there, but I want to make sure I plug that in before I talk about submission this morning. With all that being said, let's go into one of the greatest topics we love to talk about. Number one, we see six things today. A wife can work at winning their unbelieving husband to Christ, or six things a wife can do in general. Number one, be in subjection to your husband. Look at what it says there. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband. The word submit means to voluntarily line up under for the sake of order. The primary idea here is of giving up of one's rights. I think I gave this definition last week, but it's to rank yourself under someone else in order to lift them up and build them up. And so, and we see here it says it's a command. Be in subjection. And when we look at this, it's a present tense, meaning it's something that continually happens. And you notice, just if we're looking at words, 
It doesn't say for a wife to be subject to all husbands, right? All men out there, to your own husband. You see that there? So that doesn't mean that, uh, hu- that husbands are better than wives. That's not the case. I got you understand, husbands and wives, men and women are created equal in the eyes of God. We play different roles that God gives us. That's what we got to remember. There's no, men are not better than women, and women are not better than men. They're equal in God's eyes. And you know, you ladies could look at you and say, well, God made man. And when he made man, he said, I could do better than that. And he made man a woman. And then he made a, after he made the woman, he said, everything's great. I never have to make another thing again. You could look at it that way. Or you could say, after God made woman, he's like, I'm not doing anything else like that again. I don't know. You could say either way. Just looks at how you look at it there. But when we, when we think about these things, you've got to understand what we look at and we see the roles that it plays. We think about the church. Christ is the head of the church, and the church follows Christ. As the husband is the head of the home, and the wife follows her husband in this. Now, as we think on these things, the key to developing a submissive attitude, it's not looking at your husband like, oh, he's so wonderful, I'll submit to him. No, because this is one of the thoughts I know some of you have. If he can't put his dirty socks in the hamper, why am I going to submit to him? And, you know, the hamper, it's in one spot. It would be, you know, I'm guilty of that too. It just seems like there's lots of other good places to put clothes, you know, behind the door, in this area, wherever the case may be. And uh, anyways, why, how, how are we supposed to do it? We do it as to the Lord, the Bible says. Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as this fit in the Lord. It is God's design and God's plan. Say, so, well, I don't know if I like that. Take it up with the one who designed it that way. The Lord did. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit, and this, say, well, maybe if there was one verse, this is an overwhelming theme. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Submission has been a struggle and always will be a struggle. And you know, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number 3. In verse 16 it says, and this was, it says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. That's what the Lord told Eve about her husband Adam. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 13 and 14, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And as we look at that, sometimes we look at the idea that God would, that he would put order in the home and that a wife should submit to her husband and how all these things work. We think to ourselves, God, that's, a, that's a curse from God. No, it's a blessing. It's a help from God. You see, and don't get mad at the messenger this morning, but may I just help you with a couple things. The Bible tells us that in the Garden of Eden, Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was. Eve was deceived by that serpent. Said, so, well, what did Adam do? Adam was just dumb. Okay? Adam knew he shouldn't do it, and he just did it. His wife gave him the fruit. He ate it. Adam was just dumb. Eve was deceived. The serpent deceived her. And we all know, and for a general statement, a general statement, for the most part, ladies are more emotional and more feeling-led than men are. Now, there are some men that have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotion too, okay? And at different moments, it could go back and forth. But when we look at Eve, she was deceived by the snake. Adam wasn't. 
Adam just did wrong. God puts the safeguard in the home. So that way, that there's a leadership role in the way God designed it to be. You see, God wants it this way. Because, you know, we look at Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. Look at what the marriage relationship represents. This is why marriage is so sacred. In our society, marriage is put down low. It doesn't mean a lot, but in God's eyes, marriage is honorable. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. You see, so as the church is subject to Christ, we see the beautiful role how marriage works. It's a picture of Christ and his church. And, you know, we look at these things and we're like, well, what does this mean, this thing of submit? This does not mean that a husband rules his house with an iron fist. And he's a dictator. I don't see, was Jesus ever, a, he was a servant leader, wasn't he? He was a servant leader. You know, and if, if you're in here and you're like, my wife just needs to submit to what, you're dumb. You're dumber than Adam, okay? And your wife should just take one of her shoes and hit you inside the head if you're going to be like that. Then it's abuse the other way, and that hurts too. But anyways, we've we got to be very careful with these things. We see Jesus, he was a servant leader. And, and when we look at and we think on these things, do you realize today, you look at the role of husband and wife. Man, I'll give you my examples, okay? My wife is very smart. She's a lot smarter than me in a lot of areas that matter. Like, have you ever heard of this thing like women's intuition? I believe in that thing. There are times my wife's like, I just don't know about that person. I'm like, they're fine. Don't worry about it. And then later on, I'm like, um, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I believe in that. Things in our home and what our kids need, she's very much in tune with things, sometimes more than I am. And that's not me looking here and say, that's just the way it is. I remember in Bible college when I was there, I was in a speech class. That speech class was 10, ten girls and one guy. I was the one guy in that class. I hated that class. I say, why? Because all 10 of the girls in that class could give way better speeches than I ever could. In all reality, I think that women could preach better than men. I'm, that's my opinion. God didn't design it that way. And God knows what he's doing. God didn't put ladies as the head of the home because they, there are a lot of areas that my wife is way stronger than I. We work together. We're a team. And I love how God brought Caroline and I together because my weaknesses are some of her strongest things. And then her weaknesses are some of the stronger things, and we work well together. We blend together. It's a good thing. That's also something that's good to know you know why it's important to marry someone be equally yoked? Because there's going to come times in your marriage where you're going to not see eye to eye on everything. And that's where at the end of the day, God has put the husband in the role to be the one that makes those decisions. And you might not see eye to eye, but it's your job to trust the Lord and to follow your husband. That's Bible. And you might not like it, but you, it's the truth. 
That's what the Bible says. And I know a lot of in our culture today, we don't like hearing stuff like this, but it's Bible. God knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him. And we'll talk more in a few minutes about some of these other things. But when we think about it, in my marriage, my w- and this is the thing, a good husband isn't going to put his foot down and be like, this is what we're doing. No, you talk things together. You work on it together. But someday, men, you're going to give an answer to God for your home. You will. And I would encourage you to lead it the way God would have you lead it and do things God's way. One of the problems that we have today is, though, we have a lot of passive men and ladies have to step up into the role and do those things. And I would just encourage you men in the room to lead the way God's called you to lead and to and be spiritual and do the things God would have you. Because a lot of ladies would love for a husband to take the lead. A lot of times they can't because you won't. And men, you need to step up and be what God's called you to be. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. So ladies, if you don't like today, just bring your husband back next week, and you can elbow him all next week. Say there's only one verse, but they're going to get the same 30 or 40 minutes that you're getting today for six verses, and it'll be okay. You ladies can multitask. That's why there's six verses, not one, okay? So we see number one, and you submit to your husband. Number two, live right. Look at the rest of verse number one. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, as we look at that there, we see the word conversation. Some of you are thinking, like, I can tell my husband what he needs to do. I get that. That's not the conversation. That's an old English word. means your lifestyle. The way you live, and, you know, our actions speak louder than our words. And, it's, and we look at this thing. The Bible says it right here. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Someone said it like this. Unspoken acting is more powerful than underperforming, unperformed speaking. And while the temptation may be to your spouse to tell them what they need to fix and what they need to do, the, and what happens is, though, and at times, and I'm not trying to, when you keep talking and talking and nagging on things, nagging does not bring a situation, it doesn't make it better. Nagging becomes an irritation over time. The Bible says this, Proverbs 19.13. Look at what it says. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Is there anything more annoying in the world than water dripping? Last night I was thinking about when we used to live in the parsonage, I don't know what it was, the place in our bedroom. And I'll be laying, trying to go to rolling over. Two hours later, night's over and it's still dripping. Stop, just stop, just stop! I'd get up, I'd get up and I'd try to get it to stop and there's nothing I could do about it. It says the continual, the contentions of a wife. 
constantly nagging to try and fix the problem. It's like that. The Bible also tells us in Proverbs 21, verse number 9, this is Bible, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. There's a lot of truth in that verse right there. A lot of truth. It's better to have your little corner in the very top corner than have a big house and have a woman who's not happy. But anyways, and saying something about it. But as you look at this, and that, that's what the Bible says. I'm, right? I'm not, and don't, some of you are giving me some dirty looks this morning. Just be careful, okay? I need some blinders on so I don't have to look out when I preach messages like this. But some of you same ladies, next week you're just going to be smiling away when I'm talking about the husband. Just remember it, okay? It'll be the opposite way. And if your husband's smiling right now, you're, he's going to get a talking to after church. Just remember. Anyways, okay, I'll stop there. Okay, so live right. Verse number two tells us, look what it says, that your husband's watching what you do, even if he's not listening to what you say. While they behold your chaste conversation, the word chaste means pure and modest, and the word behold has the idea of being an eyewitness or a spectator at a sporting event. How about them Padres, Louis? How about them Padres? Anyways, we'll leave that there. And wives, you see, when you're living the life, your husband's going to notice, and there's going to be conviction that comes. One of the best testimonies you can have is just living right. We see, number one today, that you need to submit to your husband. Number two, we see you need to live right. Number three, show respect. Look at that phrase there, coupled with fear. A better way of saying that, and we see the word fear sometimes. We're like, I'm supposed to, you know, you're not, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm fearing him, I'm going to live. No, that's not what it's talking about. It basically, a company with respect. That would be a great way of wording that right there today. You see, do you know most, the primary need of almost every man in the world is respect. It is. And res he needs respect. He wants respect. Like, respect is earned, not given. I get it. I get it. I get it. I've heard many people say that. But when we look at this, listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.33. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Respect your husband. And may I just put a little plug for both sides here. So many times you could see a husband or a wife. They go to work or they go out somewhere and they'll find someone who will just listen to them of the opposite gender. And then they will just talk about how bad their spouse is. You're supposed to respect your spouse. Hey, let's put this a little bit further. How about the words that come out of your mouth to your spouse? Do the words you use for your spouse in front of your spouse honor them, respect them? Do they build them up or do they tear them down? Your spouse is God's gift to you. And shame on us to treat our spouse but anything with love and respect. When we think about that, uh, we could also go a little bit further. Don't talk bad to your kids about your spouse. Because when you do, you say, well, I want my kids to respect their dad. And then you tear their dad down in front of their eyes. They're not going to respect him. It works that way with all authority. If you want authority to have influence in a life, don't tear down that authority. There's going to be, this is what's going to happen. Let's just be straight up and honest here. There's going to be some point in your time of being here at this church that your pastor is going to do something dumb and irritate you. 
if it hasn't happened already. It's going to happen because I'm not perfect. I wish I was, and I wish I didn't irritate anybody ever, but it's going to happen. But you want your kids to be influenced. Don't go home and tell them how bad the pastor is. If you and your wife want to talk about it, do it in the bedroom. Sure, talk about me. Go ahead. But don't do it in front of your kids. And that, you, I, want, I want the kids to, I don't want them to talk bad about their mom. And then all you do is talk bad about their mom in front of them. You're tearing down their authority right in their eyes. And we can go a little bit further, those of you with kids in school. Don't tear down your kids' teachers in front of your kids. They're not going to listen to their teachers when that happens. Build up their teachers. And it's amazing. Somehow kids think, or parents think this, that their kids are saints at school and then at home, they're, you know, they just mess up only at home. No, let me help you out. How your kids are at home is the same way they are at school. And maybe sometimes they're a little worse at school because you're not there to give them the dirty look when they do certain things. But they get this idea, oh, my kids are, no, they're not. They're, they're just a kid. But don't tear down authority. Build up authority. In the husband-wife relationship, build each other up. Don't talk bad to anyone about your spouse. Don't talk bad to your kids about your spouse. Respect them. Build them up. Wives, respect your husbands. What a wife can do to help win her husband to Christ or get him back to Christ, submit to him by the lifestyle that she lives, thirdly, by showing respect. Now, here's another one, number four, by being beautiful on the inside. Now, I've heard the old saying, if the barn needs painting, paint it. That's okay, you know? If you need the concealer and the foundation to fill in the do what you got to do that's okay that's not saying don't do those things but look at what the bible says here it says while there's and look what it says it says who's adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of god of great price that word adorning is where the word cosmetics comes from. Did you know that? It's literally where that word comes from. And when we look at this, one thing that sticks out to me, it says that there's something that God values highly. Do you see that there? You see that phrase there? There's something that God values highly. It's not the outward appearance. It's the hidden man of the heart, and it's that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That's of great price, great value in the sight of God. When I see something that God values highly, I want to do what God values highly. As we look at this and we think about this, I was doing some research about what did, what did the ladies wear back in Roman, you know, the Roman Empire in those days. Did you know in those days you were what you wore? It's the same today, isn't it? That has never changed. And um, at times people... And people sometimes care the brands that you wear, the labels that you have matter to some people. I remember in Bible college, people would come up and they would grab the tie and they would see what brand was on the back of the tie. This is a staffer today. That's pretty good for me. And uh, you say, what are the other ones? I don't even know. I find whatever's cheap and uh, that's what I do. Clearance, Kohl's clearance and JCPenney clearance. That's where these all come from. And I'm buying less and less, I know a woman designed this thing right here. And I think the whole idea was she could take it and choke her husband with it, and he would never know. I think that's where the whole idea for a tie came into play. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of money on a tie that my wife can use as a tool against me, so I go with the cheap ones. And even at that, I don't buy very many anymore. Praise God for that. But you wore what you wore. 
And a lot of times, I've, I read five or six different books on this. I have went through some sermons. This is the thing. People could say this is what it was like in the Roman Empire. We didn't live in the Roman Empire, so who knows if they're actually right or not. But for the most part, the gist of it was that a wife was wore modest. She was very modest in what she wore. And if you were a single lady or a prostitute trying to get people to look at you, you were, a, you were less modest in what you wore. That's the gist of it. And I think the world's the same way today, right? And as we look at this, I want you to understand something. God is not against you wearing makeup if you want to wear makeup. God's not against you if you don't want to wear makeup and you don't wear it. God's not for you dolling your hair all up or not doing it, for coloring it or not coloring it. Whatever you want to do, you, you do as the Lord leads you to do. God's not against you wearing earrings. Because some people will take this stuff and say, I could never wear earrings, I could never wear any gold, I can't do my hair, I can't do any of these things. That's not what it says. What it says is, what matters more than what you put on the outside is what's on the inside. Because at some point, that beauty on the outside is going to diminish and fade away. The beauty will lead to wrinkles and other things of that. It doesn't stay, you know? It, co it comes and goes. But inner beauty never leaves. And in God's eyes, that's what matters. And the Bible says, you see there, it says, an ornament of a meek and quiet. The word meek, you know, it means power under control. And it says that it won't fade away. Quiet refers to a wife not giving the outbursts of wrath. It has the meaning of tranquil or not combative. And so God puts extraordinary value on a lady who cultivates her inner life more than the outward appearance. That's what this is saying right here. Number five, and we're almost done. You've got to trust God. It says in verse number five, Therefore after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, guys, don't tell your wife to call you Lord. I wouldn't do that one. Not a good move on your part. You say, well, Sarah did. Sarah and Abraham, totally different people. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I would just stay clear of that one. But do you see it says they trusted in God? Let me give you a good example. It's very interesting to me. The Bible tells us in Genesis 11 and verse number 12, that Sarah was a fair woman to look upon. Now, do you realize something? At this point in her life, she was at least 70 years old. And Abraham was scared that she was going to be taken from him. So she, she's a fair lady to look upon, the Bible tells us. They go to Egypt. And what does Abraham tell her? Tell them all that we're, you're my sister. Because if they think that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you because you're so beautiful. Isn't that, what it, isn't that what happens? Does Sarah submit herself to her husband's authority there? We're not, we're, we're letting that, let, let's, we got to get this right here. Did Sarah submit herself to her husband's authority there? Yes. Was Abraham's idea here right or wrong to do? Wrong. It's never right to lie for anything. Abraham 
was wrong on this situation. But she trusted God and did what God wanted her to do. There's another example a few chapters later where Sarah says, hey, hey, honey, this child is never going to come by us. I have an idea. We need to go in and to your handmaid, and you can have a child and do what God wants us to do. Abraham followed his wife's directions there. And all the problems we have in the Middle East are still there today. And remember later on, Sarah even says, why did you do that? She did what, he, what she told him to do. Do you see what happens when we get our order out of place? And do you see what happens? And you got to trust the Lord. And when we look at it, if Abraham would have followed God and not listened to his wife, he could have saved a lot of grief in his household. We could go a lot further down that road and say if he would have followed God and not gone down to Egypt, the handmaid never would have been there either. But you see why God sets up the pattern he does and you got to trust him don't trust your husband trust God trust God in the process what the Bible says I'm not adding to it I'm not making it more than what the Bible says it's going with what the Bible says and some of you are just waiting for me to get done so you can be done listening to this number six keep doing good says there the rest of verse number six whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement and do we see once again as long as ye do well just keep doing what's right say how am I going to get through to my husband keep doing what's right keep living the life keep doing what's right The Bible tells us in Proverbs 31 and verse number 12, it says, She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. If you're a wife in the room today, are you committed to doing good to your husband? That's what the Proverbs 31 woman was. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 12, verse number 4, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones the Bible says. How can I be a good wife? How can I help reach my husband? Number one, by being submissive. Number two, by living right. Number three, by showing respect. Number four, by being more concerned about my inner beauty. Number five, by trusting God. And number six, by continuing to do what's right. Next week, guys, this is my tendency. I'm way more, and people, people have always said this about me. Like, it used to be, you know, I don't, m now on Father's Day and Mother's Day, most of the time, I just continue where I'm at. But it used to be Mother's Day, I would just preach this really nice sermon for all the ladies. And then on Father's Day, I would get after all the men. Because I am a man, and I know how I am, so it's easier for me to get after men than it is after ladies, because I'm not, I'm not a lady. And so... I do have a tendency in myself, and you'll probably see it next week. I'm more hard. I'm probably more hard on myself 
than anyone else that knows me at all. My wife would agree to that statement. I am very hard on myself. And so next week, you'll probably see that a little bit when we talk about the guys and how they're supposed to be. Because that's one area I can work in and be better in. So when you look at God's word, just take it and love him. And if Jesus was willing to suffer and to die for us, then we can do what he asks us to do and live the way he wants us to.